0: Hi, folks. Steve Urban here. Today's episode of the Rider Flex podcast is sponsored by Marketing 360. My good friend J.B. Kellogg and his team do such a fantastic job for us and so many other companies. Marketing 360 is the number one platform for small business, and it's everything you need to grow your business. If you need marketing support, I really encourage you to contact them at Marketing360.com slash Riderflex, and we'll add that link to the description of this episode for easy reference. And on today's episode of the RiderFlex podcast, we have guest Patty Money, the Chief People Officer at Twilio, a cloud communications platform as a service company based in San Francisco. Twilio allows software developers to programmatically make and receive phone calls, send and receive text to messages and perform other communication functions using its web service APIs. I really enjoyed my conversation with Patty, all kinds of great advice here around human resources, recruiting, people management, et cetera. Thanks for tuning into the RiderFlex podcast and enjoy the show.
1: I come from a, from a family of family business.
0: Oh, um, you do. Okay.
1: Yeah. My dad was an entrepreneur and, um, he had, he, I worked in his business when I was growing up. Like we all put together, in those days, we like put together catalogs together. You know, we'd walk around the table and do all that kind of stuff. I worked for him when I was in college as a bookkeeper, you know, so. um awesome. uh, And then my brothers, like several of my brothers are, uh, he ended up with three businesses. And one of my brothers runs one, one of my brothers run, runs another, and the other brother runs the other one. So Wow. in the family. Yeah. He told me I'd have one, except I moved away.
0: So <laughs> <laughs> by the way I can I can still I'm I'm guessing you grew up in Tennessee, right?
1: I did. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I,
0: you can still the accent it's still it's 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 there a little bit. Just a yeah, little how bit.
1: did you know Tennessee versus like saying Kentucky or Alabama? Oh, or...
0: Well, well, first of all, I looked you up online and I saw another podcast interview you did and I was listening to uh your accent there and I was double checking your LinkedIn profile and I thought, "Oh, University of Memphis. There it is right there." There station. it is. Yeah. <laughs> So I figured it was, yeah, yeah. Tell us about, but, and by the way, I'm already recording, Um. but we're already into it. So let's just keep talking. I'll put a nice intro and exit on it later and, and all that good stuff. By the way, when we, when we end, when I hit stop on the recording, stay on for a minute and we'll just do a little small talk at the end. Okay. But, but since we're already rolling, go for it. Tell us a little bit about that. Uh, you know, growing up in Tennessee. So your dad was an entrepreneur Um. You had some siblings. How did you decide to go to the University of Memphis? And by the way, you were a marketing major, so I'm curious to know how you got into HR.
1: (laughs) Yeah. um, So I'm from a family of seven kids. Uh, So that sort of frames a lot of who I am. And I'm next to the oldest uh, from a very tight family. My dad is my role model and was my go-to person throughout my entire career. Uh, He's actually, you know, I credit him with... Much of my um, uh, educational uh, drive. Originally, I went to college for a, a couple of years, and I majored in partying. Um, <laughs> I really did. Yeah. <laughs> um,
0: not, hey, hey, not, not, none of the rest of us did that. You were the yeah. only one.
1: <laughs> yeah. And so, so then my, you know, my dad kind of set me down. He said, you know, what do you really want to do with your life? And mm. you know, I was considering like not, you know. I was considering a lot of different things at that point in time and none of them like the right option. And my dad said, you know, knowing who you are and knowing how you're wired, you're not going to be happy unless you get your degree and you're not going to feel, um, good enough, or strong enough, or worthy enough, if you don't have some of those credentials behind you. He said, I've, okay. I've watched you, I know how you operate, and so, um, University of Memphis was easy and convenient, you know, okay. with a family of seven kids, there's not a ton of money, okay. um, you know, so for like private schools or things like that, and, um, and so I got a great education there, a great school, um, smart instructors, good, great business school, quite frankly, I'm, I'm making what? a plug for them here.
0: Why marketing though? Why, why'd you choose marketing? Is is that because your dad was an entrepreneur and you just felt a tie to that?
1: Actually, you know, it was funny. I was originally a music major in college I started as a music major and um, I realized that, you know, I wasn't going to make a lot of money on that. And that, you know, taking what I enjoyed as a hobby and what I did for fun and turning it into like something I did every day, I wasn't enjoying. Uh Um, I really, I took a marketing course as some intro thing and and I thought it was super fun. Um, but I didn't, I never worked in marketing. I sort of, um, once I graduated from school, my husband moved me across the country to Virginia and there okay. weren't a lot of marketing jobs in uh, Newport News, Virginia, where we lived. And I went to work for Kelly services and, uh, as a temp, cause I thought, well, I'll work as a temp and sort of figure out, you know, what the world around me is like here in Newport News, Virginia. And uh, they eventually had a role as a supervisor and they called me, you know, from a temp job and said, hey, are you interested in potentially interviewing for this? And I was like, I don't even know what it is. But, <laughs> um, so, but what it was, it was basically a recruiter. And it was a person that actually hired and placed people into different temp uh, roles. And so I Very, interviewed and I decided yep. it would be a fun thing to do. And that was kind of the start. Um,
0: that, that's a, It's interesting how... Little doorways like that happen, little phone calls, a meeting here, a meeting there, and your life just goes left, right, whatever. It just happens like that, doesn't it?
1: It is so true. And the funny thing is, I didn't even, when I did that plan to be in HR, I ended up being the branch manager for them. I went into sales with them, and then wow. I this, uh, was the branch manager for a while, which was awesome experience because you really do learn, you know, how to run a small business, and um, yep you know, we were, we were doing several million dollars in sales and, you know, it was, it was an amazing experience. And then I had an opportunity to follow one of the people that I've been sending tips to, to uh, start working in HR with a company, with a startup firm uh, that they were in. So that's how I fell into HR. And, uh, but once I was in like the real HR role, I fell in love and I never looked back.
0: Gotcha. There's a tip for the listeners, by the way, relationships with vendors, can open up jobs and doors for you down the road, right? Because that was Absolutely. a relationship. Yeah. Yeah. Yep.
1: Who you're partnering with across your business lines, whether it's externally or internally, those are doors that are important to keep open. And those are relationships that you want to make certain are strong.
0: Did you have aspirations to be um, C-level executive, chief people officer, chief HR person? Like, did you like, were you like, I'm going to, I'm going to be C-level or, you were just like, oh, this is, this is, you know, you just kept getting promoted. I'm just curious as to, you know, what your goal was at the time.
1: Yeah, my goal was not C-level, although what I
0: knew is that I wanted
1: to run the HR function. Okay. Uh, whether that was, you know, having control over a certain aspect of it or, um, or, but I've always been in a, in a generalist type of role. And I knew I wanted to be a person that could have a direct impact on the culture and on people's lives and so being a leader within that function was important to me whether I had to be the top leader or not wasn't wasn't necessarily my goal but I also knew that I was strongly opinionated and wanted to be able to influence and um, have an impact so uh, no it wasn't the plan but it worked out okay.
0: Yeah, you had a great career by the way. So so speaking of that, so moving through your career at some point and you had a few a few stops here as you kept moving up, but at some point um you became the chief people officer for SendGrid, right? And and did they merge or did Twilio buy them? What what happened yeah. there? I, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah,
1: Twilio actually acquired SendGrid. We closed okay. the acquisition. Uh, just a year ago, February first of last year. So um, it was a great—you know—Singrid was an amazing run. Uh, okay. We went public in 2017, and then we announced the acquisition with Twilio in November of two, or October of 2018.
0: Did Patty? So, did Did Patty score on that deal? Did Patty have equity in Singrid Syn- when it went public? Did you? Did you hit a home run on that deal? Everyone at Singrid had equity. So awesome. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. What, why? are we talking? How come you're not on an island somewhere? Why, aren't you going to retire now?
1: <laughs> no. Well, I, I, I will, but um, but again, it was it was a great it was a great experience. And is an amazing company, uh, and the it's one of the I've done a lot of acquisitions in my career, and what I found about this one is that that the the strategy of both companies was so aligned. Like we're all working, we were both working to be a customer communications platform. So with Twilio, they were doing it through text, video, SMS, and we were doing it through email. Um, And so in order to have that full capability for a customer, they needed us, we needed them. And so it really was a a very, very opportunistic way to accelerate the vision of both companies, which is exciting to be a part of.
0: And can you give the uh, listeners some advice around um, merging cultures and merging teams together? Sounds like you've been through it a couple of times. And I know, you know, from experience, it doesn't always, you know, doesn't always go smooth when you're uh, putting a couple of executive teams together. If if there's executives out there right now, listening to this episode about to go through some sort of M&A or, you know, activity, What advice would you give them around you know merging cultures cultures together
1: yeah um i think the first thing that's critically important is to understand what are the differences so you know we we concentrate a lot on our similarities you say oh we're so aligned etc but where do you find those pain points those areas where you you're not aligned many times you can be very aligned on values Um, And similar people will work in both companies, but how you get work done can vary significantly. And there's a lot of rub that can come from that. So, you know, the best piece of advice I can give for people is to understand those differences quickly Mm -hmm. and make a decision in terms of how you're gonna handle those things. And the other piece of advice that I have anytime you're going into an acquisition is build relationships. I mean, decision-making goes a lot faster when you know each other, when you can trust each other. Uh, And a lot of times, we kind of skip the dating. You know, you're dating for a while, but you're in negotiations when you're going through an acquisition. And then all of a sudden, you're into integration versus taking the time to say, okay, now let's really get to know each other as human beings. How do you think? How do you, how do you make decisions? How, what are the things that are going to make this work for all of us? So I think understanding how we're wired and how we operate in the world as executives and as human beings will go a long way towards accelerating being able to uh, find those pain points and resolve them.
0: It's, that's such a great point. I really, I did, and I want, I want to emphasize a couple of things on that. I, you know, we, Rider Flex does a podcast wh- around daily tips, as well as, you know, having guests on the show like yourself. I just did a tip. I think it was maybe a couple of weeks ago. And, and it, the topic was something around, you know, check yourself with relationships in the building if you're having problems getting things done. And, yeah. and the, my, my point of it was, if you're, trying to get something pushed through, or you're trying to get something passed, or you're trying to get the group to approve an idea you have, and somebody's always blocking you in the conference room, it might have something to do with relationships. It might have something to do with the fact that Johnny just doesn't like you. And no matter what you bring up, he's going to block it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's so important to manage relationships inside the building. Oh, it's a great point. Um, and what's the, what's the smallest outfit you, you've been with in your career? You know, smallest company.
1: Hmm. I get I, it was monotype when I first Okay. started with them. So they had just spun out as a wholly owned subsidiary from ACFA at that point in time. And we were about a hundred and something people. Okay. Uh, and so when I came on board with them, we were, we'd just done that and we're creating a kind of a new company. And then we spun out totally. We did a leverage buyout, then we went IPO, we did global expansion. So that, that run with Monotype started small and ended with a very different job.
0: I, the reason I asked that question, were you the first HR person they hired? in the 100, within within the 100 people? Were you the first like HR executive?
1: I, I was, they were, um, and at the time they hired me as like the HR director or something like that. I can't even remember, but, uh, and then I just, but I was still the only HR person. At the gotcha. time when we were originally the subsidiary, there were, there were parent company um, HR people. Okay. But I was the only person within the subsidiary, and we had decided we would operate very independently, our own benefits, our own, mm-hmm. own 401k plan, um, because it was software inside of a hardware company. So okay. you, you, had to, you had to recognize those differences and build something different.
0: The reason I'm going down that path is because a lot of our listeners are startup uh, you know, companies, startup executives, aspiring entrepreneurs, small business you know, maybe they, uh, they just got their seed round or they just closed the Series A and yeah. all of a sudden they can hire 20 people and they, they, don't, they, don't, they don't have HR in the building. <laughs> um, what's your advice to, let's just call it, um, startup companies that have five or 10 people, but they just closed their Series A and they're about to hire up a bunch of people. What advice would you give them around HR? How soon should they bring HR in? And what should they immediately be focused on in that early stage? Cause I'm guessing you've seen just a few things. Yeah. <laughs> or, or, yeah.
1: And I was actually part of a startup many, many, many years ago, um, where I was employee number thirty. So oh, gotcha. Uh, okay, great. So All right. That was great. when I was hauled out of Kelly services. So um, so I, I actually think the sooner the better. Okay. Um, because when you start building your foundation, you know, when you start making decisions about who you hire, how you hire, um, what is the culture that you're working to build and how do you reinforce that with, uh, the right people systems and processes. And, you know, when you're small, they're not big, they're not heavy lifts. They're not, they're not like these big, gigantic, bureaucratic things, but the more intentional you can be about, naming it and saying this is the type of culture and type of workplace that we want to create and then making certain that everything you do is aligned with that true north that you're driving towards that and having somebody that thinks about that every day and is working to help you hire people partner Mm. with you when things Mm. come up because businesses change very quickly when you're in the startup phase Uh, there's 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 a lot of angst and a lot of things that you're trying to deal with um, as you navigate through those different phases. And if you don't have somebody paying attention to it mm. then you have unintended consequences, you know, things, culture will just happen. Um, you'll make a couple of bad hires and all of a sudden you're like, why are people acting this way? And
0: <laughs>
1: What that's all about. So I actually, you know, my advice is make it one of your earlier hires. Um, and and then partner with them. Well, about what is what is it that you really, as you know, the founder of this company, what do you want to build? You know, what's the what's what do you want your company to stand for? What do you want your people to feel when they come in every day, um, whether they work from home or whether they they work in your office? What do you want them to feel? How do you want them to be engaged with you know the purpose and the mission of the organization? Um, so I think it's a really critical role. And I think most companies wait too long. And then when the HR person comes in, it's more like you're trying to course correct versus being part of the build. You know, let's mm. build something versus having to course correct.
0: That's great. Yep, you're right. And by the way, would you say that the majority of small companies today right now probably can't define their culture? If you if you asked them to say, if you just walked up to a small business owner that does $10 million a year and you said, hey, what's, what's your company culture? What do you think, 50% could answer the question clearly, maybe?
1: <laughs> yeah, I, you know, the, I think people have gotten more intentional about it than they <laughs> used to be because I think we've all come to understand that cultures are really important part of of your business success. If you create the right cultures, then a lot of good outcomes will occur. Of course, you've got to write, have the right TAM, and you've got to have the right product and all of those things to address the market, But but a lot of your ability to... Um, actually take advantage of opportunities that are out there is based on your people and so and those people are attracted to the culture that you're creating and so so I think more people can do it today now. I have been pretty much in the software world since 2000. Okay. So, you know, most of the people I talk with are dealing in tech and tech I think has done a pretty good job of saying we want to be intentional about culture and has been working hard to yep. sort of define that and work through it. So I may be a little jaded, you know, in terms of my view of the world there.
0: Well, I don't know if you did any uh, study on Ryderflex ahead of time, but we're all about, I mean, that's what our recruiting firm is based off of is matching candidate personality and style to company culture. I mean, we just fight really hard to do that. I I completely agree that it's critical. Um, And I noticed, I, you know, when I saw you on another interview, another podcast, you, I think you said, I'm trying to quote you here, but I think you said something to the effect of people people join companies for culture and they leave companies because the culture doesn't fit them or something like that. And I think you're absolutely right. And that's why, you know, we do, we work really hard to try to fit styles and personalities and culture and all that together, because I personally think it's, it's super critical. I mean, you know, if, if I, for example, if I try to put a uh, super quiet conservative reserved uh you know, librarian type person into a loud, very um, obnoxious with a bunch of curse words and uh, crazy happy hours every day from 3 to 6 p.m. Like eh, they're, pro- they're probably not going to like it. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, it's interesting because where what you end up with, so I always think about, um, I don't think about culture fit. I always think, culture enhancers. Who are Ooh. you going to hire that's Ooh, going oh, to I, I like that. enhance and make your culture better? I like um, that. you know, when we, and I actually don't look for like personality fit that much quite, no. I look for personality fit for the role,
0: Ooh, um, okay. not Got
1: necessarily it. for the culture, because if not, it's one of the reasons that you can end up with a culture that is where, where you don't have diversity which
0: right. is key and, to- right 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 it, I totally yeah yeah you're right I'm glad you're bringing that up how do you yeah go ahead I'm interrupting you but I, yeah that's a great point how yeah. do you how do you how do you hire for culture but make sure you have diversity in the, in the mix great point go ahead I'm interrupting you no <laughs> you're
1: good I would just say that um, first of all recognizing that you know you will not be as strong a company as you can be if you don't have varying views of the world in your mm-hmm. company. Mm-hmm, so people mm-hmm, that have different lifestyles, people that you know are di- in different life stages, people right. from different um, ethnicities. Mm-hmm, so right. those perspectives. I mean, our customers are all of those varying people. And so, when you have a company made up of those varying people, you're going to be better able to serve your customer. As we say at Twilio, we call it wearing your customer's shoes. So you're uh-huh. better able to do that when you when you have a lens that you can see that, and you, you're you're more innovative, you're you're a smarter company, you're more progressive, etc. So. Um, So you look at that, we want diversity, but we also want people that are going to feel comfortable and have a sense of belonging and inclusion in our organization too. So I think part of that is making certain that uh, your culture itself is inclusive, and that you're working hard to recognize that people are gonna come in and everybody's not gonna to wanna to be loud. Um, everybody's not wanna to go, to, you know, not, every, not everybody's in a position to go to happy hour, um, you know, every afternoon. So so I think instead of saying, how do we how do we get people to fit into like those those norms and things like that, how do we become accepting of the differences that people will bring into our organizations and actually support people in those differences? Uh, I think that's where companies can just, you know, explode in terms of productivity Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. creativity, et cetera. And it's super hard to do. Uh, most of us as managers, we want to hire people that are, that are like us, you know,
0: (laughs) right. It's just Um, natural. Yeah. It's just, yeah. Human nature. Right. Yeah. yeah,
1: It is. I also look about, I I have, I I talk a lot about a, a model for fit for purpose. So many times it's, it's not necessarily about, you know, um, uh, the, the idea that you're going to fit into the culture, but it's like, do you fit the purpose of where we are right now? So for example, like there can be people that um, have a resume very much like me. They've got the same background and education. They know comp, they know benefits, they know all of these things, et cetera. They may have taken a couple of uh, companies public, so they may have done a lot of the same things. But if they're a person that is um, uh, that likes things to move slowly, let's just say, Uh Um, There are companies that go down that path in a very progressive, um, even keeled way, okay? And so somebody can come in and help them do that really, really well. There are other people that want to do it fast and they're going to iterate yep. and they're going to, you know, it's not going to be perfect. It's going to be a little bit messy along the journey, but it's high growth, high innovation. And somebody with the same background and experience, if they don't like working at that pace or they don't like working in that type of way, they won't be successful in that environment, even with mm-hmm. the same credentials. So I mm-hmm. think understanding, are you fit for purpose for where the company is in their organizational evolution, how they actually get work done? Mm -hmm. Um, I think those are the important things that really make for a match made in heaven uh, versus, you know, something where all of a sudden you feel like I don't fit in here. This just feels weird. So I think those are things that I think about.
0: Very good. I I like uh, culture enhancers, people that can enhance the culture um, like you said, maybe they don 't go to happy hour every day, but they are still comfortable you you've used that word a few times comfortable in the environment they 're comfortable and they 're enhancing uh, the culture overall. I like the way you said that that 's really good it's tough you're you know you're right it's it's really hard to hire for culture but also make sure you're you're being diversified in your approach and bringing people in that can enhance and lift and tweak the culture when it needs to those are all By the way, that's why we have professional HR folks like you. (laughs) it's so easy to hire
1: like people it's so it is it It is is. we fall into that trap very easily so i'm just a believer i was actually talking to a gentleman today and he was going you know i was interviewing this person we think very much alike i think it's great and i was like ooh, i like the people that don't think like me um (laughs) let's bring them in because they're going to challenge our thought process they're going to help us you know kind of look at the world through a different lens and then we 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 can come together and make stronger decisions based on those varying
0: those varying viewpoints. I I like it. I like it. Really great topic there. Let me, let me switch gears here just for a minute and ask you, I know you've, uh, you've probably interviewed, I don't know. What do you think? 10,000 people? I don't know. I mean, I
1: don't know, but it's, it's a lot of people.
0: (laughs) (laughs) What uh, in today's world, let's just go with today's world. What are some of the, maybe just pick, pick, pick two or three most common mistakes you see people make during the interview? If you don't mind me asking.
1: Yeah. Um, so I think the first mistake that, um, I see, and it's, it's so surprising to me because, um, it's so easy to do is not prepping for your interview. Um, not doing your homework on the company, not really digging into their website, understanding what their values are, you know, looking at what their product offerings are. Um, I mean, the information is out there, mm-hmm. and many people may have done just a cursory um, look at it. Some people, you know, I'll ask them, like, what do you think about our company's, you know, core values? Like, mm, what are <laughs> uh, oh, oh, are
0: those Oh, are those on the website? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah they are. <laughs>
1: yeah. So, so I think I think that's number one. And it's so easy to. Uh, remedy. So I'm always surprised when people haven't done that. Uh, And it always makes me think that they're not a person that's going to dig in um, and dig deep, you know, because you Mm. want somebody that's going to want to come in and learn and understand. And the learning starts when you're interviewing with a company. So I would say that's number one. Um, Number two is not answering the question. (laughs) So it's kind of one of my pet peeves. You know, you ask a question and you're like, okay, you didn't answer that question. Why (laughs) <laughs> Can we come back to that?
0: Um,
1: so, um, so I, I think being able to answer a question directly and transparently right. and authentically. You know, again, one of the things that I think people fail to think about is like, you don't want the job if it's not the right job for you. Exactly. so you don't have to oversell you need to say this is how i think about that so that the two parties can make a uh, an objective decision about whether or not um whether it's a good fit
0: how about how about biggest mistakes on uh, resumes or linkedin profiles either one or both
1: um just on resumes please don't have typos i mean it seems silly to me but that that drives me nuts um, I also am a person that when you get to, um, there, there's a um, difference between being confident and being able to portray your skills in a confident way okay. and being, um, you know, and not having any humility surrounding it. So right. finding right. that balance between showing that you're confident and capable for mm-hmm. the role uh, while not coming across as like, yeah. And I'm all that, Yeah, um, right. you know, so I think that's, that's a mistake that people make LinkedIn profiles. I think they're so all over the map, you know, they I don't, are. I don't judge them too much in terms of what all people have in them. Some people invest a lot in their LinkedIn profiles and spend time, you know, curating information and keeping it up to date. Other people get it up there and it's like, okay, I'm done.
0: Do you, <laughs> and, do, do you caution people on their social media in general? Do you, or do you uh, do you think there are companies out there that are like, OK, well, I noticed on Instagram she had this crazy photo or I noticed, on, I noticed on Twitter that he posted this mean tweet about somebody, blah, blah, blah. Do you think people should be careful about that or do you or do you think companies should not be looking at that and shouldn't hold them accountable? What are your thoughts?
1: Yeah, that's, that's a, that's a loaded question. I know. Um, So uh, let Uh, me say, first of all, that we all need to remember that what's on social media is accessible to so many people. So if you're not, if you don't want that to be seen by, you know, everybody from your grandmother to, you know, your potential um, um, company that you might work for or your coworkers, uh, then, you know, I wouldn't put it on there. I think that's. Like, you know, put up there what, what you want people to see of who you are and uh, what, what you want to stand for in the world. So, um, yeah. you know, companies, you know, I, I'm not a person that goes and, you know, goes fishing on people's social media uh, channels to, to see what that looks like or anything. Um, that's not my style, but yeah. I know there are some people that do pay attention to that more than I do.
0: Do you think, pick? do you think, um, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll leave it at that. I think you're right. I think my answer is similar to candidates when they ask me for that advice. I I say something to the effect of, hey, they probably shouldn't be making hiring decisions on your social media, but why take the chance? If you're in the job market and you're looking for a job, I advise that you're careful because it's human nature and they're liable to check something. So why make it an issue? That's my yeah. I tend to very much
1: believe that your private life is your private life. Yeah. Um. So that's just that's a personal philosophy of mine. But if your private life creeps over into your professional life, then it's a problem.
0: Yep. Agreed. Okay. And then how about this? This is another interesting topic we could probably talk about for two hours. What's going to happen with all this artificial intelligence and robots interviewing people someday? What What are recruiting firms like like me and and Flex and my team here. What are we all going to do for a living when robots start selecting candidates? Patty, can we just talk about the topic kind of from thirty thousand feet? I just would like to get your your input on on all of that. Uh, you know, there's all these tech companies out in San Francisco trying to eliminate, you know, re- recruiting firms. Talk, talk to me about it.
1: Yeah. Um. So I don't believe their goal is to eliminate recruiting p- firms, and okay. I don't think they ever can. Quite frankly, okay. Okay. Um, I think they're a, a great tool. There are, you know, there are lots of tools that we can have in our toolkit that will allow us to come to better and better hiring decisions. But um, the human interaction, how we work together, how we determine if we're people that can uh, get stuff done together in a way that's healthy and great for an organization, I don't think AI will replace that. It may send us signals that okay. these are things that, um, like, it could improve our screening process significantly. Uh, could make narrow down the candidate pool significantly uh, but okay. I don't think we're we're going to be replaced um, by robots interviewing what uh, now it could happen um, but I you know I just believe there's so much to how we work together that is really based on um, human interaction mm-hmm. that they can they can they can pick up the right um, you know, cues and lead it lead to some conclusions as to what could work and what what wouldn't work. But it's still we're we still have that gift of discernment that we have to bring to the interview. There it is. Conversation. There it is. Yep. And and I don't know that they will be. They can they can tell us here are the data points that say this could probably work and, and this one probably won't. So I do believe it can it can narrow and and speed up the screening process. But I don't okay. the actual final interviewing processes and determining whether, you know, we're going to get married or not is going to be eliminated through AI.
0: I feel the same. And by the way, the, the, I compare it to the, uh, to the dating apps just a little bit. I always tell people, I'm like, Hey, you know, match.com and all the rest of these. I said, if the, if the the robots and the AI was was perfect, you wouldn't have to go to Starbucks and meet the person you would just take what match.com told you and just marry them without meeting them in person. But guess (laughs) what? You don't, you don't do that because Yeah. Yeah. you you need to be around them in person to make sure it's going to work. So
1: that's a great uh, analogy.
0: Yeah, That's kind of how I look. Okay. Another, another one here that I want to talk about another big topic, by the way, we could have done like four episodes on each one of these topics, but (laughs) how do you feel about the, the, and I'm, I don't know if you're going to, if you can answer this based on the way Twilio wants it or how Patty feels personally, but what about the whole working remotely and, how do you feel about it in general? And where do you see that going in the next 10, 15 years?
1: Yeah. Um, so answer from me personally, I mean, Twilio supports a lot of remote workers as well. Um, okay. You know, different jobs, uh, lend themselves better to working remotely than others but in general with technology the way it is today it is you know remote workers are are important i mean people are not willing to disrupt their families and move across the country at the level that they used to Um, you know we make lifestyle choices about how long we want to commute you look at some of the uh metropolitan areas and the commuting times for people if they're going to have affordable housing is absolutely ridiculous so providing people with the flexibility to work from home and to be able to to balance that i think is is Critically important. Now you have to also figure out how do we stay connected, mm-hmm. um, how do we build relationships, how do we make certain that we've got the ability to solve problems and be able to work together as a team, even if you are working in Dallas and you're working in New York and you're working in London and all of those right. things. So, so I think the 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 ways teams work have to uh, evolve and get better to take into consideration the distri- the distributed workforce. So there are tools. I mean, we're, we're using Zoom here yep. today as we're exactly. talking. Um, exactly. There are so many different ways that you can, there's collaboration tools that make being able to work in different locations super simple today. So, but companies have to invest in those things. You can't say, I'm gonna have, this great distributed workforce, but I'm not going to invest in the tools that are necessary to make certain that they can be connected and that they can be effective in their roles. I also think from a managerial perspective that managers need a different set of tools. They have to know, how do I make certain that, especially if the majority of the team is in one place and you've got a few people that are scattered in other locations, Mm -hmm. you know, how do you make certain you can build a a cohesive and an inclusive team uh, when you've got people in different areas? And managers, you know, that's a hard thing to do, but there are tricks and tips that they can be trained on that will help them in that area. Um, And also make that person that's working in Des Moines feel more connected to their teammates. So I think, I think it's an investment from the company perspective, but I also think it's going to continue to get bigger and bigger.
0: I do too. So I, we I mean, I'm pretty much agree with like 95% of what you just said there. Yeah. I think it's going to increase. In fact, maybe this sounds a little too far fetched, but, um, and I'm stealing this quote from, uh, uh, I don't know, Mark Cuban or somebody, I can't remember who said this, but, uh, I, I think at some point we might look back on society 20, 30 years from now, and we might, we might say to ourselves, we were making people drive an hour into a building to sit in a cubicle and open a laptop. Like, why were we doing that? Why, yeah. why were we doing that? I, 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 that may sound a little too, you know, I don't know, sci-fi, but I, I do think it's, it's going to be something like that. We're going to reflect back and go, I don't understand why we were doing that to people, especially with, video and all the tools we have now, uh, you know, yeah, I'm in full, by the way, Riderflex is 100% remote. We have, you know, like 15 people involved in the company and we're all in different States and we work just fine. We're on zoom and video all day long yeah. and chat and chat. It, it feels like we're in the office together. Uh, the only difference is I have, you know, my slippers or my house shoes on. That's the only yeah. difference. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. When I'm
1: working from home, I'm always like, okay, you don't have to know what's from the waist down. That's
0: right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> The, you know, I did a podcast on working from home tips on working from home. I tell you what the biggest, the biggest challenge on working from home is when you go into the kitchen to get a cup of coffee, you're walking through the kitchen and there's lots of little things in there to graze on. That's the number one problem for me. Anyway, Uh, I need to like lock the cabinets between eight and five and I'll be better off. Uh, um, Really great. All good stuff right there. Uh, Patty, thank you so much for sharing all that. Um, how about this, kind of wrapping up here towards the end? You know, you've had a great career so far. I mean, congratulations on on everything you've accomplished, you know, including, you know, going through transitions and, and transactions and, you know, mergers and things. I mean, that's that's not easy. I mean, you, even what you did now, how, when was the, the, the purchase of or the merger with Syngrid was just recent, right?
1: Yeah, we closed um, a year ago, February 1st.
0: Yeah, I mean, you're still probably going through some stuff there. You yeah. um, You know, that's not easy. Uh, you ca- you kind of cruised past it, like it's. Uh, but that's a, that's a lot of hard work to get cultures yeah. like that together. I mean, big time. You know, I mean, you got Johnny's calling you, going, "That's not how we do it." Yeah. <laughs> you know. So congratulations on everything you've accomplished. Is my point. Well, thank um, you, you. I've been blessed. You love you love Colorado. Now, are you are you you you're never going anywhere? No, no. Colorado. Here we are. Yes. Nothing against Tennessee, but Colorado's pretty cool, isn't it?
1: Yeah. Now my six siblings are going, aren't you coming back to Tennessee? I'm like, well, have you been to where I live? <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's the same thing I say to my family in Oklahoma. I'm, I'm 52 years old. My, mo- my mother still thinks I'm moving back someday. And I'm like, no, I'm not moving back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, Colorado's hard to beat. Um, two final questions here. Looking back on your career now, um, is there anything that you would say to that young lady coming out of, you know, uh, you know, Memphis, graduating college? Is there any advice you'd give to her? What would you tell her, I guess, this is my question.
1: Um, I have a plaque on my desk that I keep that says, what would you do if you knew you wouldn't fail? And so my advice to, you know, my younger Patty was like, would be like, you know, live large, you know, take those risks because the worst thing that can happen is you can fail. And, you know, if you fail, you tried. um, And you did what you thought was the right thing for you and for your company. And so uh, I think just being unafraid is, um, you know, how I think, I want to live my life more unafraid and so i would i would i've gotten bolder in my old age but i uh (laughs) but i so i would say you know to my younger self don't be afraid to take those risks don't play it safe uh but but that's that's kind of who i am
0: just just go for it just go for it
1: yeah don't be afraid again a lot of people hold back because they're afraid they'll fail
0: Right. And usually it's around, uh, most people, because most of the country lives check to check, usually they they think of failure as, oh, I I lost this job or this this startup didn't work and now I'm out of money and I got to go get a job at Home Depot or whatever. And they they think that is failure. And really, it's not. It's just a speed bump that you're going to run right over and learn from and keep going. Yeah, I mean
1: it's hard. I mean, because we all have people that are dependent on us and right. and we've got we've got bills to pay and we wanna we wanna make certain that we're providing for ourselves and those people that we care about. So it's tough, you know, to, to yes. actually take those risks, roll the dice. Um, and you know, I, I guess, you know, when I think about fear, it's not always it's about being willing to go there for what you stand what you stand for, what you believe is right, what you well, believe right. is important to do being willing to take a stand, um, those are like types it. of things.
0: yeah. Oh, I, I like that, I like that, that ties right into exactly why we started RiderFlex. took a, our, our, our taking a stand was, hey, I think we can, I think we can do recruiting better than most of the people I work, most of the firms I've dealt with, there's some great firms out there, don't get me wrong, but based on my experience over the years, I thought to myself, mm, I think we can deliver a better than average product. So I knew that was our, that was our taking a stand. And then what I would encourage the listeners on is, you know, yeah, I was one of those guys. I was one of those C-level executives making big money. When I, when I quit that to start Riderflex. I will never forget that conversation with my wife. And I, I walked in one day and I just said, I'm, I'm ready to quit and I want to go Riderflex full time. And I, I never remember, I'll never forget what she said. She goes, she looks at me and she goes, Okay, well, how much is that going to pay us next year? <laughs> and I said, <laughs> and I said, I have no idea, but yeah. we're going for it. <laughs> <laughs> That's
1: great. Well, good uh,
0: for you. Uh, um, and then the last question is: if you had to put your core purpose, core purpose, I was challenged with this question, by the way, when I was almost turning fifty. So I was, I was, my fiftieth birthday was getting close. I was having a glass of wine with a mentor of mine. It was a Friday afternoon, beautiful weather in Colorado. We're sitting out on his back deck, talking about business and some, some things. I was talking to him about Rider Flex, and uh, he says, Steve, he says, what's your core purpose? And I kind of, you know, I said, well, you know, I want to make the world a better place and take care of my family. And and he, he's like, yeah, th- yeah, that's a pretty common answer. That's everybody says that he's like, but really, what's your core purpose? Like, really, what's your core core purpose? Patty, I like. I drove home that day. Speaking of my wife again, I'm saying I'll share another story with her. I walked in, she's like, "What is wrong with you this this evening?" I'm like, "I'll tell you what's wrong. I'm 50 years old. I don't even know what my core purpose is. That's what's wrong." (laughs) I had to think about it for like weeks, weeks before I could really define my personal core purpose. And so I love asking people the question. Go ahead. If you had to put yours in a sentence, I was going to
1: say. And what did you decide yours was?
0: so so mine now is I have it down pr- pretty well I tied it to what I do for a living and what made me emotionally fulfilled right I, I my core purpose is to help people find professional happiness oh nice good and, and and it took me like I said weeks to come up with that sentence and, and I was like what do I really enjoy like I, I like helping people and, and, and it ties to my business, you know, helping them find professional happiness by placing mm-hmm. them in the right job. So that's now how I define it. Cause I really get joy out of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't know the answer right away.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so mine is kind of similar to yours, but mine is enabling others Okay. Uh, that it's, you know, it's pretty simple for me. I find tremendous joy in helping others be successful. And, you right. know, whether it's organizational success, whether it's individual success, whether it's team success, um, I just, like, I, that's where I get my jollies, yeah, you know, yeah, is, yeah. is doing work and then thinking, you know, that you're, you're helping them be better. Um, and I'm not always successful at that. And, you know, well, certainly not perfect at it, but it is, it is what I believe my core purpose is.
0: I, I love it. And by the way, for the listeners, for the, for the younger professionals, I can tell you that when you get older, you get to be my age, you get to be in your 50s. Right now, you probably think it's all, you know, yeah, I was going to say, right now, you think it's all about the money, maybe, if you're listening to this. But really, as you get older, what really matters is when Sally calls you that you knew 15, 20 years ago and says, you know, you just really made a difference in my life and you really, really helped me get to where I'm at today that is powerful stuff right yeah. there absolutely yeah. <laughs> and that that's what really that's where the magic is anyway um, patty thank you so much for being on the rudderflex podcast my pleasure i appreciate it will you hang on just a minute i'm going to hit stop on the recording so don't hang up yet okay
1: okay thank okay. you
0: the rudderflex podcast features entrepreneurs business executives and the stories behind how they got there as well as daily tips on career advice and job interviews. Our show can be heard just about anywhere these days, but you can visit riderflex.com and click on the podcast page to hear all the previous episodes and learn more about the recruiting and consulting services we provide. Contact us at the email address info at riderflex.com or 888-964-5876. Thanks so much for listening, and if you enjoy our show, please be sure to subscribe to our channel and like the episodes.